Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cowboy Stories and welcome to my episode with Ira Wines. Ira works for the Ellison Ranching Company and throughout this episode he talks about um, the different ranches that make up that company and also a little bit about his personal history. I'm excited for you to listen to it and to hear his story. But before we begin, I wanted to share a quick quote from Kurt Marcus. This is from a book that he had published in 1987 called Buckaroo Images from the Sagebrush Basin. It says, it's been said that a man on horseback can ride for a couple hundred miles in one direction across Ellison land and not open a single gate. Well, if you just want to start off by introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about your childhood and the way you grew up, then we can go from there. Okay. Um, uh, my name's Ira Wines, and uh, I live here in Elko, Nevada. My my family's lived here for, my ancestors came here in 1860, I guess, and uh, so been here longer than the state of Nevada because it didn't become a state until 1864. That's cool. But, um, oh, I grew up, my dad worked on different ranches. We moved around a little bit and, and, uh, that's kind of, I just grew up around this, this sort of thing and involved with it pretty much my whole life. Was it uh, something you always wanted to do? Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. When I, oh, when I got out of college, I decided this is what I wanted to do, and that's I, I pursued it, and and uh, I wanted to work my way up to the up the ladder, and uh, and wanted to manage a big ranch in Nevada, so that's what I set out to do, and that's where I'm at today. <laughs> Um, where was the first place you worked as a cowboy? Was it for your dad, for your family, or did you go off somewhere and learn from someone else? Um, oh, I was around my, helped my dad when I was a kid. And, uh, but the first place I, where I, I got paid to do it, um, I was, uh, working for my brother-in-law and, um, would day work for the neighbors cowboy in and and uh oh I was about twelve years old I think when I was doing that and 
and that's probably the first place I got away from home and was was getting paid to do it. Do you mind telling us how you ended up where you're at today? For those of you who might not know you, you're with the Ellison Ranching Company now, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So do you mind telling us how you got to the point that you're at now? Um, uh, starting in the beginning, <laughs> my dad was the buck root boss at Squaw Valley for worked for Ellison's when, uh, when I was born. And, uh, so I've had a tie to this company for a long time, I guess. <laughs> and, and, uh, but no, I, I applied for the job to be the buck root boss at the Spanish ranch. And, uh, they hired me in, uh, 2004, went to work January 1st, 2004 as the buck root boss there. And, oh, got, promoted up and promoted up and now I'm the president of the whole company. So that's, that's cool. and, yep. I've been here, worked for Ellison since then. And they've been a good outfit to work for. They've been good to me anyway. Yeah. I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot about them, but I haven't really had the opportunity to visit. I think I visited with one guy who mentioned the Spanish ranch a tiny bit. Um, but I've always been curious about it because I think it is like the history of it seems really cool. Um, it is. We just, we, we, all these, these two ladies, they've worked on it for about 10 years, writing a book on the history of the company. And we just got the book. Oh, a week before Christmas. And, uh, they, Ellison ranching company started, in the ranching business in Nevada in 1910, and uh, and have been here ever since. And uh, there's not, and they they talk about it a little bit in the beginning of the book. There were a lot of of uh, big cattle companies in this part of the world in 1910, and uh, as as far as as big cattle companies, Ellison's is the only one that's still here out of out of all those there's there are definitely some family ranches that have been here longer than that but but they're smaller just family ranches and um but as far as a ranching company this one has survived That's survived cool. through a lot <laughs> yeah. why do you think it has survived when the other ones didn't it yeah they're the guys that started it were um they they were pretty sharp businessmen and they 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 definitely set it up to succeed and and guys that followed them were were really good businessmen. I've I've got some pretty big shoes to fill because <laughs> there's a lot of expectations to continue that. But um it's uh um it it is family owned. I mean most of the owners are are Ellisons and and uh and um spread out from there i mean there's there's different last names when it comes down to the owners but but most of it is 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 still the ellison family that that owns it the ellisons they're they're not involved in it very much now where they in the past they were but but um they they were good businessmen they and they they definitely went through some tough times. There was 
oh, there was the depression in the thirties that was, was hard to get through and, and, uh, everything else that comes along with ranching, but, but they have, they have survived it. I'd like to check out that book. What, what's the name of it? It is, uh, Ellison Ranching Company, Ranching the High Desert. Nevada Can fruit. you find that on Amazon or something? Yeah, no, we don't. Not yet. I mean, we haven't done much to distribute it. The museums here in Elkhorst sell them. Okay. And uh, it, uh, we just, we've just barely, just barely got it. We've kind of, we've got them passed out to shareholders and, and uh, the, couple of the museums here in Elko are, are selling a few of them, but mm. we really haven't distributed it yet. And we're, we're ranchers. We're not <laughs> book publishers. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hmm. yep, we're, we're still learning parts of that. So well, that's cool. It's awesome that you got that down and got it on paper. I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in it. Yep. Yep. So when they started back in 1910, do they still have everything that they had back then, or did they ever lose any of it? Uh, no, they. There's. Um, in 1910, they, the ranches they bought were in in Humboldt County, north of Winnemucca, and they lost those ranches during the Depression. And. Um, there's a place south of Battle Mountain that they bought in 1917, and we still own that. And um, and then, like, the Spanish Ranch, they didn't buy it until about 1925. Okay. And, oh, they have sold places, bought places, and, and now it consists of the Spanish Ranch and the PX Ranch, which is in North Fork, Nevada, and the 71 Ranch, which is in Deeth, Nevada. Okay. And then uh, we've got uh, a farm and a feedlot in Bruno, Idaho. And then, uh, and then there are sheep operation, which is right now it's it's uh, based down in south of Battle Mountain, down in central Nevada. You guys have a lot of country to cover. <laughs> I used to put a lot of miles on horses. Now I put a lot of miles on a pickup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, do you mind telling us a little bit about the cattle part of the operation? Um, it's, it's, uh, I guess the direction we're going with, with the operation. We, we've got that feedlot in Bruno and we finish, uh, a lot of our own cattle. We still sell some yearlings. We don't sell any calves, but we still sell about half our yearlings and we finish about half of them. And uh, and retain ownership. We sell them on a grid after they're hanging on a hook. And so we we've tried to put ourselves in a position where we can retain ownership of of our animals until as as long as we possibly can. I mean, the next the next buyer is going to be the person that that is eating it, or the or the retailer that sells it to that person. So we've got more control over our our end product is what we've we've been aiming to accomplish. And uh, we work hard on our genetics. We, we um, 
because we want cattle that are going to perform for us. So we still want cows that are going to perform on the high desert in in northern Nevada, but also once they get to a feedlot, uh, do well there too. And and um, so we've worked hard on that. We we do some artificial insemination projects with with heifers and with some cows trying to raise our own bulls. And, and then we've even got into uh, transferring some embryos into some recept cows, just trying to raise raise more of our own bulls. And and uh, but it's it's been fun to to be involved in that. I I'm sure that if you ask my science teacher in high school, he wouldn't believe <laughs> some of the things that we're doing now. But <laughs> but um, no, it's 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 uh been fun and and so far it's we're we're definitely trending in the right direction we've got good cattle that that do good in kind of a tough environment but they also do good once they get to a feedlot and so we're we're on the right track i hope yeah what what kind of things do you look for in your cattle for them to be successful at both of those <clears throat> we um we concentrate on on the bulls that that we that we buy and that we we use we um, concentrate on their maternal traits and their and uh and their e p d s and and uh but we also look for ones that um that have a lot of a lot of shape in their ribs and a lot of depth and uh so that because that's what it takes for cattle to perform in a feedlot, and we um, were, and it, it's worked out for us. We, I mean, we concentrate on making cows that are going to work for us, and the the performance in the feedlot has kind of come along with it. And we don't we don't put as much concentration on on the the growth and the the carcass characteristics that that we do on the maternal characteristics, but it, it, so far it's worked out. The the growth in the carcass kind of come along with, with what we've been trying to do to make good cows. I think that's really cool that you can, that you have the feedlot and that you can be that involved with every single process. So you know, like what you need to look for in your genetics so that you, cause you already know what the final product is going to be. Yep. Yep. Cool. And there's, there's a lot of ranchers that sell sell their calves or they sell their yearlings and they don't ever get any information back on how they did if they need to improve something if they're doing good and and um it's tough to get that information back but with what we're doing that's we get the information because we still own them once they once they're graded and they're hanging on a hook is when when we sell them so yeah. yeah, we we know we know what we're accomplishing and what we need to work on. And how do you find um, the buyers after they're? I guess I don't. I'm not familiar with how that process works. Once well, the the company that we that we work with that process all of our cattle, they they pay us on a on a grid after they're graded, and then. Since they own them after that they they do the marketing and sell mm-hmm. the meat and and uh, 
so we don't have to we don't have to be involved in that end of it. So do you mostly run like Angus cattle? Yep, predominantly Angus. We we use um, we AI some straight black heifers to a Hereford bull. Just trying to cross it up a little bit and uh, and get some hybrid vigor out of a, a black bolly cow. I've they make good cows if if they've um, if they've got a lot of pigment around their eyes and and uh, around their udders. They I think they make really good cows. You kind of get the best of both worlds there. And uh, but it's it's predominantly Angus. And how many head can you run now? Uh, with this drought that we've been fighting our way through for the last three years, our numbers are down. We're we're working to build them back up, which is tough to do. But um, we we can run about nine thousand mother cows. And is that comparable to how many they ran back in the day when they first started? Yeah, it's hmm. a good question. <laughs> I guess I've never. Yeah, it. Yeah, it's probably comparable. Yeah. Yep. They at times they probably ran more than that, and and at times probably less than that. So what would you say? It sounds like you have a pretty sweet setup. What would you say is the hardest part about running cattle where you do? The hardest part, <laughs> yeah. or the hardest part of the operation, like, um, <laughs> and everybody would probably tell you this right now. Labor is seems to be tough. Um, I'm lucky that uh, we've got some good employees in in key places, and and when I took over, I, I inherited some of those guys, and um, and they've stayed, which. Which is always a plus, but um, hiring labor, just getting things, the day-to-day things done, is it seems to be getting tougher to to find somebody that wants to that wants to do this for a living because it's it uh, it doesn't pay as much as working in town, and it and there's definitely longer hours than if you worked in town, <laughs> but um, labor would be the the tough one, but I think everybody in the ranching business, if you ask them that, that would be their their response right now. Now that they're all finally, well, I don't know about you, but we're finally getting some some moisture here in our ends. Yep, we are we are getting a winter that we haven't seen in quite a while here. The <laughs> same. Yep, yep. I haven't heard anybody complain about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I bet it gets pretty cold up in that part of the country too, though. Yeah, the uh, what's the date? Thursday, I think Monday morning at the Spanish Ranch it was twenty five below. Wow! Yeah, wow! <laughs> I can't even imagine that. <laughs> yeah, there's a cold spell came through, and it it's warmed up a little bit today. But yeah, it's been cold for last week. How do how do cattle handle it in that cold of weather? <laughs> <laughs> All of our cattle, we Oh, except for a few that we've got a, a winter permit for, but most of them we have them inside in the meadows and we're feeding them hay right now. And as long as they've got enough hay to to uh, 
to stay warm. I mean, it takes it takes energy to keep warm, and it takes a lot of hay to keep their energy up. But um, they, uh, I think, cattle handle twenty below better than they would handle mud, and mud seems to be hard mm-hmm. on cattle. And if they're walking from a feed ground to water every day, and they're and it's muddy, and they're I've 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 seen cattle come out of a, a cold winter better than a than a warm winter where the ground never really froze. And, really? Uh, yep. And when it's 25 below, cattle eat about twice as much as they will when it's 15 or 20 degrees. I mean, it, it takes more hay, but as long as they're getting enough to 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 make enough energy to keep warm, they they do pretty good in it. Interesting. You don't calve right now, do you, or do you? No, we don't start calving until until about the first of April. Okay. Yep. It. Um, we don't sell calves, so we don't have to try to have a big calf in in November, and and um, so we're just more we concentrate more on a, on getting a live calf than a than a yeah. big one. And calving a little bit later, we're not fighting. Mother Nature is bad. Yeah. Makes sense. Who do you look up to as a role as a role model in this industry, or who are some of the best guys you've ever worked around and learned from? You know, my my dad would probably be on the top of that list, and uh, if he was here, he'd probably tell you that I I didn't listen to anything he said and I didn't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> but I did, and. Um, uh, oh, other guys that I've worked around. Um, I worked for a vet a lot when I was younger. I worked for him in high school, and then oh, after I got out of college, I worked for him, uh, Boyd Spratling, and uh, he probably has a lot to do with shaping my career. That um, and not so much the the cowboy end of it, but the animal husbandry end of it, and the veterinary skills and and uh, which are pretty important, pretty valuable skill set to have. And, and um, oh, I've worked around a lot of guys. I just, good guys that, oh, I just, I guess they're not coming to mind right now. Um, Eddie King, he is the foreman at the PX Ranch. And um, he's good to work around. I've learned a lot working around him, and I still, I'll have a, wild idea and I'll call him up and bounce it off him and see what <laughs> what he says about it. And sometimes he says, yeah, that might be a good idea. And, so, and he, he's good at telling me about, no, you're off in left field. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. all need somebody like that. Yep. What would you say the best part about living this kind of lifestyle is? The best part about it? Mm-hmm. Um It, uh, the, mm, I don't know how to, the, say the freedom that it, that a person has, but you're not really, you don't really have much freedom, but you, (laughs) the different places you can go and different things you can see. And, and, uh, a guy a while back said, it's got to get old. He told, he, visiting with him. He said, it's got to get old being a rancher because you do the same thing every year. And uh, he said, do you know what you're going to be doing 
on this day next year. And I said, I've never done the same thing every year. <laughs> every year is different. And, and it is kind of, especially with dealing with mother nature and, and livestock, it's, it's never the same. And that's, I mean, that you don't get in a rut and where you get stuck doing the same thing every year. And because it's every year is different from one year to the next, it's dry or it's wet or, there's not enough hay or there's too much hay. Or <laughs> but um, I really enjoy that part of it because it, it never, I mean, it, it, uh, it's got a, it always has, it always makes a person, it keeps your mind active, I guess, on how to deal with different things we, we deal with. I think that ranchers do a really good job at, planning ahead and also adjusting to like last minute yeah. uh, uh, things that come up. Yeah. That, I think that's, that's exactly. something that a lot of people don't really realize about cowboys or ranchers is that like they are businessmen. They're trying to run a business. So they do need to plan ahead for the future, whether it's going to be a drought year or a good year or. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. And then, like you said, you're having to change at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you personally choose to live this kind of lifestyle? Well, it um I got to raise my kids in uh and in a in what I think is a good environment. I I couldn't imagine trying to raise kids if you lived in a city. <laughs> I just because I've never lived in a city probably, but <laughs> People that live in a city probably say the same thing. <laughs> but, um, and neither one of my kids want to have anything to do with cows or horses or ranches. And, and, uh, but they, they do appreciate the, the chance they got to grow up where they did grow up. And, uh, and they've, they've told me that and they, they, um, I think I think they really it, it, it's a good place to raise a family. I guess it's the best way to put it. And I bet your kids appreciate the way that they were raised. I bet it has given them a lot of valuable life skills, even if they don't want to be involved in it now. I feel like it prepares kids for other yep. things that they'll encounter later on. Yep. Yep. Do you guys have a horse program also, or are you just? Yeah, we do. House? No, okay. no, we've got about 20, you know, 20, 25 breed mares. Um, the Eddie King there at the PX, he's kind of oversees that whole thing. And, and, um, I know the next question you're going to ask me, and I'm not going to be able to answer it. <laughs> what kind What's of stuff that? do you use? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we, Let's see. We had a Pepto Boonsmall stud, and we used him quite a bit. And um, then, right now, we've got a. Uh, oh, I can't remember how he's how he's bred. He's. Um, we just bought a metallic cat stud, and um, I don't know if that's going to work out. He's. <laughs> um 
everybody in the horse world wants to ride metallic cat horses, but they're little tiny athletic horses. And if you've ever trotted through the sagebrush on one of those, they're not very fun to ride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd much rather ride a great big old hammer headed gilding that just kind of plows through the sagebrush. <laughs> but um, I was trying to think of that other. We we lease a stud that we used last year and we're going to use the year before. I think that's the last year we're going to use him. And um, we've got, and then we raised a stud too that is um he's about a quarter thoroughbred and then uh uh he'd be out of that pepto bloomsmall stud oh, okay yeah and are most of your mares just foundation bred mares or do you have some thoroughbred in there uh no i don't there's no there's not the the stud we've got that's a quarter thoroughbred we um um Eddie King, his daughter has the. It's her mare, okay. and we made a deal with her that we'd breed that 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 mare, and she'd get a colt, and we'd get a colt. But we got the we'd get the horse colt, and she'd get a filly colt. Or we wanted a horse colt out of the deal, and and yeah. we'd breed that mare again, and she'd. That's how we got that horse, but um, it uh, it's tough to find horses that we need that that have got a big motor and want to look over the next mountain range but are still a little bit user friendly and and um ninety eight percent of the people in the horse world don't want to ride horses like the ones we need to use every day and, and so it gets tough to find horses. We've a lot of our mares we've we've raised them, uh some of them we've bought and Sometimes a bot and mare works out. Sometimes they don't. But it's 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 a you can be into it four or five years before you figure out it's not working. That's that kind of makes it tough. But before you get to know their colts. Yep. Yep. What do you look for in one of your good horses? Uh, something that's pretty level-headed, but still, like I. So it still wants to look over the next mountain range. It um, oh, some people don't like very big horses. Uh, I'm I'm kind of a bigger guy. I'm six foot four, so I don't mind a bigger horse. But um, the size of the horse it doesn't matter, I guess, as much as the size of their heart. It's what they've got a big motor and a, and a big heart and level headed. They're I, I think they're pretty good horses. Makes sense. I talked to a guy who said the same thing. He said that he feels like they're breeding a lot of the heart out of horses, and he likes to look for one that might be a little bit more rank or a little bit more bronchy first thing in the morning, but that he feels like when he rides on like that, he knows it has heart, and he knows he'll get along with it. Yep, yep. If, if they want to act like that in the morning, they... At three o'clock in the afternoon, they still better be trying to work hard. If they're <laughs> if they're not, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where would you say the coolest place you've ever been horseback is? Hmm. <laughs> I'm kind of partial to the Waihee Desert. I I like that country. It's 
it's a pretty tough country to run cows in. I know that, <laughs> but but uh, the Spanish ranch is kind of along the edge of it, and and uh, we get out onto it just a little bit. But the IL ranch, which is just north of us, I've spent quite a bit of time on it. We leased it for a few years, and when I was younger, I worked there for a few years, and and uh, I just really like that part of the world. But um, though I, that's probably the coolest place I've been. There's some, you wouldn't know it, but there are some pretty cool places out there on that desert and in those Pescarora mountains where the Spanish ranch is. What's the funnest thing you've ever roped? The funnest thing I've ever roped. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I roped a badger one time. Really? My my horse didn't think that was very fun. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was pretty fun because I got him roped. (laughs) (laughs) Badgers freak me out. I don't know if I would have tried that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm scared of them for some reason. (laughs) I was with a guy, and I wouldn't have believed this if I hadn't seen it, but he had two or three dogs with him that got a bobcat cornered, and he roped that bobcat. Wow. And, And, uh, and then he wanted me to take his rope off him, and I wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> what the bobcat do when it realized it was caught? Oh, he he was pretty upset. The bobcats aren't, I mean, they're big. They're like an overgrown house cat. But the noise coming out of him, you thought, would have thought it was a lion from Africa. Uh-huh. It makes a lot of noise. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that guy's dogs weren't near as tough when that bobcat's mad because he's been he's, cause he's caught. <laughs> they, yeah, they were leaving him alone. <laughs> <laughs> when you think back over your life and throughout your career, are there any memories that stand out in particular? Hell, not not one that comes to mind right offhand. Uh, they were there's a lot of them. I know that. And a lot of good memories, and maybe when you're in the middle of it, you don't think it's good, but you get past it and look back on it, and you realize it was. And yeah, I can't. I guess I don't really. I can't come up with one right offhand. In your words, how would you define a cowboy? Uh, <laughs> or let's take it one step farther. Actually, since you're since you're in Nevada. Could you talk a little bit about the difference between a buckaroo and a cowboy, the similarities, uh, and just define what a good one is? Um, a buckaroo is what all the cowboys in this country are, are referred to. It's a slang version of the word vaquero is what it, where it comes from. And uh, they're... Oh, that I mean, that's just the difference what they call people in different places. And other places are called cowboys. Here we're called buckaroos. Um, and I guess a good one would be would be one that could um, get a lot of work done on just about any horse you gave him a ride, and. Uh, one that knows how to handle horses and handle cattle. And I've been around a lot, a lot of guys that 
we're good at one and not good at the other. And, and, um, but if you get a guy that's good at both of those, he's, in my opinion, pretty good help. And, um, they're, I guess, talk a little more about the difference between a buckaroo and a cowboy. Um, the influence on buckaroos in this part of the world came from California, from the, the old Spanish vaqueros, the Mexican vaqueros that were down there. That's where our influence came from. So that's like the style that that we use, that, and it's uh, it's spread, uh, I guess, a little bit from this part of the region where it used to pretty be pretty much be exclusive to. To the Great Basin in this part of the world, but um, oh, sometimes people think we're we're too flashy that we like silver mounted bits and ponchos on the back of our saddles, and but um, it just that's the influence that came from California when when cattlemen started leaving California and coming to this part of the world, and I know guys in other parts of the country use different bits than we use. They use different, they have a different style than we have. And, and a lot of it is, is due to the environment they're in, the function of what they're trying to do. And, and it's the same with us. You know, we, um, it, most every place you go there, the style that they use has, has to do with, with their environment and, and what they're what they're trying to accomplish. We use a McCarty on a snaffle bit outfit where guys in Arizona use split reins because if they had a McCarty it would get hung up on all the sagebrush. <laughs> so they use split reins, something that because that brush is a lot tougher than our brush. And um just things like that, comparisons like that, why People use different things. It it's usually has to do with, with where they're at and what they're trying to accomplish. There are good buckaroos and there's bad buckaroos. <laughs> there's everyone in between. And if you go to Texas, there's good cowboys in Texas and there's bad cowboys in Texas and everything in between. And, and uh, if you go to Louisiana, it's the same thing. And they, they probably do things completely different than we do, but, but there's guys that do, there that do it good and guys there that probably don't do it good. It's the same, same way here. There's guys that are good at what they do here and guys that aren't. I like that. That was a good explanation. I I was hoping that you would touch on the, the doing it for different reasons and different terrains. So that was, that was perfect. In your opinion, are cowboys or buckaroos, are they as good today as they were back in the day? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes and no. Um, I think pickups and horse trailers changed a lot of things. And uh, But as far as guys, accomp- you know, getting their work done, there's, yeah, they're they're good now as they were you know, 50 years ago, I wasn't very old 50 years ago, but I, <laughs> I worked around some of those old guys that, and, um, yeah, there's, there's, 
there were good good guys then and bad guys and guys in between and but um i i really think pickups and horse trailers have changed the way guys do things so it's it um oh it seems like people get in a hurry to get things done and and um Oh, because they've got to get home because they've got a kid they've got to take to soccer practice and where 75 years ago that wasn't the case they had didn't have anything else to do so they could take more time getting their job done and be a little more thorough about it where it seems like sometimes guys nowadays will get in a hurry and if you're dealing with livestock that doesn't always work yeah but, but I, I think there's as good a guys now as there was 50 years ago, 75 years ago. And there's there's probably more of them then because there were more of them doing it than there is now. Sure. I was reading on the Ellison's website a little bit before we were visiting and it talked about how you guys still do everything as traditional as possible even though you do use a pickup and a trailer every now and then. Um, so what would you say the benefit of doing things the traditional way is? Well, I think what what they're getting at on that website is, like, we still use a wagon in the spring when we're branding calves. And um, we're guys are living in a teepee tent for six weeks. And... Um, which is the same thing they were doing a hundred years ago. And, and I, that's what, that's what they were trying to, the point they were trying to make in that, on that website that there's still some things that we do that we did a hundred years ago, and then moved on to where we're making bulls in a Petri dish and implanting an embryo in a recip cow, <laughs> which yeah. pretty much covers the whole, the whole gamut <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right well i i think i've asked all the questions i was meaning to but i if you have thought of something else that you feel would be beneficial to share then go for it yeah i can't think of anything okay i will at about two o'clock in the morning <laughs> <laughs> i know <laughs> and i'll think of a question that i should have asked or it always <laughs> happens. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll think, man, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I tend to overthink everything, but it's been fun visiting with you. Yeah. I appreciate your time. That concludes my interview with Ira Wines. If you like what you're listening to, please leave us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Also, um, I'm not sure if many of you know, but at the bottom of our show notes, so the end of the description of the podcast episode you listen to, there is a link, and the link says support this podcast. If you are interested in supporting the podcast, click that link. It'll give you more information, and you can decide if it's something you want to do or not. And like always... To put a face behind the name, you can head over to our Instagram page. It's at cowboystories underscore podcast. And if you know somebody who'd be a good fit for the show or if you just have feedback for the show, feel free to send me an email to cowboystoriespodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.
Thank you.